So it says Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. This is actually, like I said, the golden time of Israel. This was the greatest time. And you know, whenever there's peace and prosperity, whenever there is good times, and this happened after the four, 1945 or after the World War II had ended, remember, there was a population explosion. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The reign of Solomon was a golden age for Israel as a kingdom. The population grew robustly, and it was a season of great prosperity, allowing plenty of leisure time and pursuit of good pleasures. Solomon was not a warrior or a general. This peace was achieved by King David and was enjoyed by King Solomon. It was also assisted under God's providence by a season of decline and weakness among Israel's neighboring states. We believers attribute this to God's direction and blessing. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Belong to them, their jurisdictions, if you will. And so these are their names, Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim, and then Ben-Decker, or the son of Decker, and Machaz, that's, a, that's the name of a town, Shealbim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Beth Hanan, these are all cities in his jurisdiction. And then finally, uh, or going on, or excuse me, Ben Hesed in Aruboth. To him belongs Soko and all the land of Hefer. And then Ben Abinadab in all the regions of Dor. He had Tafath, the daughter of Solomon, his wife. So this man has an extra benefit because he's got a, he's a pretty important guy because uh, his, his wife is Solomon's daughter. So I'm, I'm certain that this man had a very influential uh, place that he was uh, overseeing in this regions of Dor. And we're also going to see that this officer, as well as Ahimaaz, in verse 15, they both married one of Solomon's daughters. So Solomon's, uh, two of his daughters, anyway, were married to uh, two of these different governors, and this was one of them. And so... Verse 12, Baana, the son of Ahilud, and Taanach, and Megiddo, and all Bethshan, which is beside Zeratan, below Jezreel, from Bethshan to Abel-Meholah, as far as the other side of Jachniam. And these are places, uh, I, just as a, a selfish plug here for Israel, should we go next year, uh, Lord willing, we're going to go with the group out of the Finger Lakes, but Megiddo and many of these places like Beth Shan, these are places that we visit. These are what we call um, Class A sites. 
meaning we know exactly what happened there. It's not like some sites in Israel that tour guides will take you over to some place and they think it's the site, but it's really not. No, these are, these are A sites. These are the, the big ones where we know exactly what happened at these places because they're recorded for us in the Bible. But we do go to Megiddo. And when you go to Megiddo, your eyes are going to pop out of your head because you're going to see the Valley of Armageddon, where a battle that is yet future to us happens. You're going to be on, and right at the, right at the base of Mount, um, um, oh goodness, it's the mountain, I'm drawing a blank, but it's the mountain where, um, uh, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> I'll have to erase this from the tape. Um, there's a mountain where, uh, and right in the valley actually is where um, Elijah met, with the, met and faced off with the 450 prophets of Baal. That's not too far away from where Megiddo is. And all of that is in the valley of Jezreel, and up there in that area is the valley of Armageddon. And Napoleon once said uh, of that place, he said, this would be the perfect place for a battle. And it will be. And it's a big land. And right in the center of it, I love this. I'm digressing, and I know that. Um, right in the center of it is an Israeli Air Force base. And it's really, you can see the jets fly in, and they fly in, these F-14s, these high-tech fancy things, and they fly right in in the center, and then they just disappear. They are, they're all underground. So they have these uh, levers that take them down underneath the ground. So all under the valley there, they've got this, at some points, they've got these places where all these hornets are lying, waiting for the right thing to wake them up, and then they come flying out. And it's really quite amazing to watch them take off and come in. It is. It's like a beehive underneath that nobody can see. But it's really kind of nice. So anyway, I digress. But so in Tanakh, so this Baana, the son of Ahilud, he is over this area, Tanakh, Megiddo, and all Beth Shan. Uh, and I've already read that, so let's go on to verse 13. So Ben-Geber, the son of Geber in Ramoth-Gilead. Now we're looking at probably the eastern side of the Jordan River. To him belongs the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh, in Gilead. To him also belongs the region of Argob and Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Ahinadab, the son of Iddo, in Mahanaim. Ahimaaz in Naphtali, he also took Basimath, the daughter of Solomon, his wife, another privileged fellow. Baana, the son of Hushai in Asher and Eloth. And then Jehoshaphat, the son of Perua in Issachar. And Shimei, a different Shimei again, not the Shimei who was in David's um, mighty men and not the Shimei, who scorned David and cursed him, but a different Shimei, the son of Elah and Benjamin. Um, actually, th- th- this is, I'm sorry, this is probably the same gentleman who was mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, one of David's mighty men. Sorry, I misspoke on that. Um, that that's very likely to be the same man. And um, again, he did not side with David's son, Adonijah. That, that's very clear. And so, but it is definitely not the Shimei that cursed David in 2 Samuel 16. So, verse 19, And Geber, the son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sion, king of the Amorites, and of Og of Bashan, he was the only governor who was in the land. And you, you may, as we go through this, we've mentioned a lot of the tribes of Israel, but there's one that you didn't hear about, and that's Judah. 
You didn't hear about any of this tribute coming from anybody from Judah. And because Solomon lived in, you know, right on the, you know, Jerusalem is right on the, right on the edge of Judah and Benjamin. But you don't hear of Judah being um, part of this group that would monthly provide provisions for the king. And uh, some have thought that this may have been a point of contention that may have had within it seeds of resentment that was instrumental in the split of the country. Certainly wasn't the only thing, but it may have been one of those things that people, maybe they didn't really vocalize, but maybe at some point they're thinking, hey, why, do, why are all these different guys and regions supplying food to the king, but Judah, in the place where he is, is not supplying, you know? And so the, there's a truth that you can't please everybody. <laughs> and even as the king, he has the right to do that. He has the right to do that, but it won't stop people from grumbling and complaining. Um, and not that they did at this time. And again, it's just a conjecture that, that may have been a seed of contention, but it's very possible. And knowing people the way I do, knowing the, my own self, even though I don't really know myself, but just understanding human nature, eventually those things kind of get under your skin, and all it takes is a group of people to start talking. And next thing you know, there's a group rising up, you know, canceling Solomon on Twitter and Facebook, right? <laughs> All it takes. So, verse 20. So it says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. This is actually, like I said, the golden time of Israel. This was the greatest time. And you know, whenever there's peace and prosperity, whenever there is good times, and this happened after the four, at 1945 or after the World War II had ended, remember, there was a population explosion. They call them baby boomers, right? Because everybody knew that the war was over. The economy was coming back. People were happy. The war was over. And people are populating Obviously, they're, they're excited, they're happy, they're thriving. And it's a beautiful thing, actually. I love it when that happens. And so does God. He is all for that. That was one of the commands that he gave to Adam and Eve. To be fruitful and multiply. That was a commandment. And when there's peace and safety and everyone's feeling good about things, that's usually when the population starts to explode. Because hearts are excited again and there's there's a release from the the oppression of war and these things and so and, and and they've never experienced like i said israel at this time is in their golden moment their golden moment it has never been that good and never will be until christ comes back and he establishes his millennial reign in jerusalem that's going to be the second time that we're going to see something even similar to this, but it'll probably be even better. Even better. So Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea and multitude, eating and drinking, rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river, meaning the uh, river to the land of, uh, of the Philistines. The river is the Euphrates, as far as the border of Egypt. And they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 
Ten fatted oxen, twenty oxen from the pastures, and one hundred sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. That's a lot of animals. And we think about all the mouths that he was feeding at that time. And that's a lot. So for he had dominion over all the region from this side of the river, meaning the river Euphrates, from Tipsah even to Gaza, namely all of the kings on this side of the river, speaking of the Euphrates again. And he had peace on every side all around him. Uh, such a wonderful thing. Again, they, they've never experienced such peace as they have at this time. And that's why it's such a wonderful moment. In fact, in Genesis 15, remember that God speaking to Abram, and we call it the Abrahamic covenant, because not only did God tell Abram that he would, his, his seed would be as uh, like the sand of the seashore, that he would populate through this man, that his seed would be very populous, like the sand of the seashore. But he also told him that, he says, uh, I'm gonna, well, let me just read it to you. He says, on the same day, this is Genesis 15, verse 18. It says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land, the land that Abraham was currently occupying, which was modern-day Israel. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then he lists all the people groups in there that he is going to have dominion over. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Giants, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The people who populated the very area on top of the Temple Mount that Joab went up that water shaft that we visit when we go to Israel. You, you see the place where he came up and he conquered the city. And also it's reiterated for us in Exodus chapter 23, verse 30. God reiterates this, this plan of his to give them all of this land. He says, little by little I will drive these inhabitants out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, meaning the, um, uh, uh, to, to the uh, Mediterranean, excuse me, and the Philistia and from the desert to the river, meaning the Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will be a snare to you. And I bring this up now because that's exactly what's going to happen to Solomon. The wisest man that ever lived and ever will live apart from Christ, the thing that got him, his Achilles heel, and every person usually has them, was women, his wives. Later on in his reign, he fell prey to sacrificing to all these different women, to their gods, of these different kings that he had made these treaties with, but in Psalm 33, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is Jehovah, is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own, as his own inheritance. You know, and I love that because America, <laughs> may you be that nation whose God is the Lord. Not many gods, and that's the way it is. Many people have kicked God out. And I know some really wonderful people in, in, um, in public schools, and I'm so glad they're there. And they don't like when I say this, but it's true. The school system, not them, 
They're, they're there, and I'm so happy that they're there. But the school system, the higher-ups, have kicked God out of the schools. And they've inherited the whirlwind as a result of that. They've inherited what they've got right now. And it's their fault. And they will be accountable on the day of judgment unless they repent. They will. They will stand before God and give an account. And the Bible says that if you even stumble any one of these little ones, it would be better for you to take a millstone and tie it around your neck and be cast into the Marianas Trench. That's how serious God takes it. And for anyone who's listening to this, whether it's on the radio later or even online, if you're a teacher or you hear this and you're, you're not a believer, you better be careful about what you do with those kids. And you better be a voice for them because they have no voice because their voices don't matter and now their parents' voices don't matter either. And Judah, verse 25, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely. Notice, again, such a wonderful time. A blessed time that they'll never know again for a very long time. Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan as far as to Beersheba, which is the northernmost part of Israel, and Dan to the southernmost part, Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. And again, um, the only time we read about this um, happening, uh, in fact, he mentions that each man under his vine and under his fig tree, you might want to underline that, and I want you to write a couple scriptures down next to that underlined portion. And here they are, Micah. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Micah 4, verses 1 through 4. And then Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. Just for time's sake, we're going to look at the one from Micah. But listen to this. This is the prophet prophesying of a time that is still yet future to us. It's going to be in the millennial reign, okay? So he's speaking of ultimately Zion's restoration. Uh, the Lord's reign in Zion, in the millennial reign of Christ. Listen to this. This is so awesome. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days. That gives us a, a, a tip-off here. It's, it's even still future to us. That the mountains of the, of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. Yes, even in the millennial reign, He's going to rebuke nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But notice here in verse 4. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. <laughs> There's no mistake why it's, that phrase is in, the, in this area where Solomon is starting to reign because it's not going to happen again until the millennial reign. And Micah tells us, and so does Zechariah in chapter 3, verse 10. Very interesting, very interesting. Because most of the Jewish people's existence has been wrought with struggle for survival, not only individually, but also nationally. Anti-Semitism has always been the devil's playing card that he uses over and over again in every generation. We saw it in the 40s when Adolf Hitler 
Uh, he was a master at propaganda. And he slandered the Jews for everything. Anything that was going wrong, he blamed on the Jews. And his propaganda was such that the leaflets and the caricatures that they put in the newspapers, he barraged the people of Germany with this kind of stuff. And they believed it. They took it hook, line, and sinker. And they hated the Jews because all they heard was that they are the problem. They are the problem. They are the problem. And it worked wonderfully. He was a master at propaganda. And why is that? Because he was led by Satan. That is why he was a master. And we see the same thing today. But at this time, wonder of wonders, Israel dwelling safely, and every man being under his fig tree and under his vine tree. Same thing in the millennial reign, yet future to us. What a wonderful thing. So notice in verse 26, So Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses. Are you serious? Hmm... Put a question mark next to that, if you would. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. The correct reading of this is really 4,000. And the reason I, we know that is because write this scripture, scripture reference off to the side. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 25, because it gives us the real record here. Now remember, so it's 4,000, not really 40,000. Now one thing you have to remember, again, in, in the Hebrew, when they would write a letter, one little, one little jot or one little tittle, these, these little markings that they put over numbers can mean either 40, 400, or 4,000, or 40,000, and it's all just these little marks, okay? And so yeah, a scribal error in the a copying from the original, could have made that. The original had it, but when they copied it, something got missing. And so don't hang your hat and, and let it destroy your faith if numbers in uh, Samuel and Kings and a few other places are a little bit garbled. Usually you can corroborate by looking at Chronicles, which is a much better source uh, the manuscripts are in much better shape. And so it says in Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 25, it says, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his horses and chariots, and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king at Jerusalem. Um, and he had 1,400 chariots. And so it makes sense. If you have 1,400 chariots, how many men usually ride in a chariot? Maybe one or two, but you got two horses probably pulling the chariot. you got at least one guy in the chariot. And so it makes a lot more sense even, even though the scripture tells us in Second Chronicles, or excuse me, in Second Chronicles 9.25, that it indeed was uh, 4,000 instead of 40,000. And so, and Megiddo is actually one of these chariot cities. In fact, and you can write this down too, in First Kings chapter 9, verse 15 through 19, it gives us uh, a hint at these chariot cities that Solomon had made. First Kings chapter 9, verse 15 through 19. Let me read it to you. It says, And this is the reason for the labor force which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house, the Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. These are cities. And it says, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites. And then finally, I'm just going to skip down to verse 19 for the sake of time. It says, In all the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots and cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. So we know that the Megiddo was one of these cities. 
And in fact, if you visit Megiddo, if you go to Israel with us next year, you'll see the actual stables. And, and, and these stables, in Megiddo alone, there's at least room for 450 horses and about 150 chariots. And they've already uncovered a lot of this stuff. And you can actually see the feeding troughs, the mangers, really. The, the stone thing was cut out where the horses would eat and drink. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of First Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.